0: Unfortunately, the setup is is arguably worse
1: than 2011. The topic of today's episode is the U.S. debt ceiling. On January 19th, the U.S. reached its statutory debt limit and extraordinary measures to avoid a default on U.S. government debt are underway. There are very few policy issues in Washington with such destructive capacity and such far-reaching implications to both global markets and U.S. leadership. Yet we find ourselves at the brink of yet another crisis with Republicans demanding spending cuts in return for debt ceiling relief. My name is Bill Byrd, head of Cowan Thematic Content, and to help us unpack this topic, our guest today is Cowan Washington research analyst Chris Krueger, Chris covers macro trade fiscal and tax policy for Cowan Washington Research Group. Chris, welcome and thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Bill. Great to be back with you. Chris, this isn't your first rodeo. You've followed a number of debt limit battles over the years. This one feels different, in particular given the concessions made by Speaker McCarthy to win over holdout votes for the House Speakership. What's your perspective on how this year's fight over the debt ceiling could be different?
0: Well, Bill, I think you really nailed it in the intro, right? Few policy matters in Washington have such destructive economic capability as the weaponization of the debt ceiling. And this is really the first time this has happened since 2011. Uh, 2011 is, is a really useful, you know, case study and policy toolkit to sort of unpack you know, what could happen. Keep in mind, too, right, it's two issues here. It's not just the X date uh, and the potential to go over the X date, getting into technical default scenarios. It's also the credit raters. So 2011, that fight did trigger the first credit downgrade, uh, which saw uh, extreme market volatility in August of 2011. I think, you know, the difference between what is going on right now and 2011. In 2011, the House Republicans had a very strong speaker with John Boehner of Ohio. They also had a 23-seat margin. You know, fast forward, we have Kevin McCarthy with an incredibly narrow four-seat margin that could even shrink by the time this starts to crest in the summer. During the 2011 debt ceiling saga, the debt was A little under $15 trillion, which was approximately 95% of debt to GDP ratio. The debt is now $31.4 trillion, right? It's doubled in a little over 10 years. And that accounts for approximately 120%. Uh, of a debt to GDP ratio. You know, it's the first time this has happened really in 12 years, but it does feel like not only is this a little bit different, unfortunately, the setup is, is arguably worse than
1: 2011. Chris, if the debt limit were not raised, the amount of spending cuts or tax increases that would be required has been pegged at about one and a half trillion this year and fourteen trillion over the next ten years, according to Brookings. Where do you see the potential for spending cuts as part of a compromise?
0: Well, if we go back to two thousand and eleven, that got about two point two trillion in deficit reduction with a combination of statutory caps. On annual spending, along with with sequestration, those uh, fairly draconian two uh, percent cuts across the board. Where we are now, uh, it's a much smaller universe. You know, on one hand, you still have the administration and a number of congressional Democrats saying that, that there there should not be any spending cuts while the debt ceiling is being held hostage. Most congressional Democrats and, and the White House are, are willing to have a discussion on the debt and the deficit, uh, but having that discussion while, you know, in their estimation, House Republicans are, are using the debt ceiling as a hostage is just not something they want to entertain right now. In terms of the, the nucleus of cuts, you know, the big drivers of the deficit are the entitlements and, and defense spending. Uh, Social Security... Medicare and defense spending are all off the table in these discussions. So, what we're really talking about is probably a a version of 2011 with statutory caps on on discretionary spending. One area uh, also to keep an eye on is there's approximately $200 billion in, in unused COVID-19 funds. Uh, these were grants sent to state and local governments during kind of the, the early stages of the pandemic. So, you know, spending cuts is sort of being swapped out with with spending rescissions. At best, we're probably talking about a, a relative to 2011 sort of, you know, Ten percent of of what was discussed in in two thousand and eleven
1: chris let 's get into some potential scenarios on how this might play out. What do you see as some of those potential scenarios, and which one do you think is most likely right
0: well so in in the ahead of the curve piece, you know we we flag sort of six of the potential end game scenarios, but in in reality, our base case and in our estimation, the most likely outcome here. Is is what we call the the build more land scenario. Uh, this this is a you know a, a play on the the old DC axiom. Whenever DC finds itself on the edge of a policy cliff, it generally builds more land, right? This is a a version of a of a kick the can, and the the vehicle for this is is likely with uh, Senator Mitt Romney's trust act. Uh, Senator Manchin another. Uh, very powerful centrist, has also weighed in on this. And the the general idea with the Trust Act is that a a special committee would be formed bipartisan from House and Senate members to uh, look at the main trust accounts, right? Social Security, Medicare, Highway Trust Fund, etc. And the idea would be some type of bipartisan agreement on deficit reduction if that rescue committee came up with a bipartisan agreement, Uh, it would immediately set up votes on the House and the Senate. So it's a way to get around some of those procedural and parliamentary uh, roadblocks that could, could be formed either through a filibuster in the Senate or with the House Rules Committee. You know, having said all of that, you know, this is basically kicking the can to a a committee that probably wouldn't have an enforcement mechanism, but, you know, you raise the debt ceiling or suspend the debt ceiling until sometime after the 24 uh, elections, and we, we live to fight another day.
1: Chris, an intentional default has never happened, of course, but that doesn't mean it can't happen. What's your perspective on the parties involved doing the unthinkable? X date plus one brings into a
0: lot of very uh, frightening, both, you know, market structure questions and, you know, sort of you get into the the plumbing of the global financial system with, with repos and using treasuries, etc. One of the unilateral options available in theory uh, to both Biden and the Treasury Department would, would be what's known as prioritization. We would argue that this is sort of, you know, you're arguing the nuances and semantics of default, so you, you've probably already lost the game here. But the argument with prioritization and, uh, is that essentially the, the Treasury Department can pay interest on Treasuries first. So it's not sort of a a Russia-style default from 1998. You're still paying interest to bondholders, although, you know, by definition, you are defaulting on obligations to, you know, troop pay or federal worker pay, et cetera. But they're they're within sort of the, the unilateral options available to... Uh, to the administration, prioritization is one that, you know, gets a, a, a fair bit of of oxygen.
1: Chris, what are you watching to gauge progress towards an agreement? What's coming up that investors will want to pay attention to? The two big
0: fiscal events this year, uh, the first one, no surprise, it's what we've been, been chatting about, that's the debt ceiling. The second big fiscal event of the year, though, is the, the FY24 budget process. So the the earliest the X date could be is is June 5th. The new budget uh, cycle begins on October 1. Now, both of these dates and events are currently on parallel tracks, but come March and April, they're likely to intersect. Around March 9th, President Biden will unveil his FY24 budget. Sometime around April 17th, House Republicans will unveil their budget. And this is when um, those are probably the next two big key dates to watch, uh, because that's when, you know, you're, you're very likely to see House Republicans tie themselves in knots trying to pass a budget. You know, you've got a to, uh, to your point earlier, you know, for McCarthy to secure the speakership, he had to give numerous promises to the more hardline members among House Republicans, on things like balanced budgets, etc. So I think the, the inability for House Republicans to pass a budget is, you know, late April when the X date is right around the corner. You know, as, as, we've, as we've said for a couple months now, the, the vote for Speaker is the easiest vote in the House for two years, full stop. It took House Republicans 15 votes to elect a House Speaker. That ungovernable house majority come April, May, June, maybe later into the summer, when you're, when you're tackling issues of, of, of global uh, significance like the debt ceiling, I think that's when investors are, are likely to really start taking notice and prepare for a white-knuckle spring and summer, perhaps into the fall.
1: Chris, but before we wrap up today's podcast, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. And Chris, thank you so much for your insights. Be well and see you next month.